0: Welcome to another episode of the Mixtape with Scott, a podcast devoted to becoming an oral history of the last 50 years of economics through the personal stories of economists, authors, and scientists. I am your host, Dr. Scott Cunningham. Today we're journeying to Central Europe, tracing the steps of Gabor Bekes, an assistant professor at the Central European University in Austria. Gabor's fascinating journey begins in Hungary, a country in the throes of communist rule during his early formative years. Picture a young, curious Gabor grappling with the implications of a transitioning regime where economics textbooks were in a state of flux, mirroring the socio-political transformations around him. And that's about what I heard today. Gabor shares his unique experiences navigating a rapidly changing educational landscape and then a rapidly changing country and a rapidly changing Europe. And how it shaped his research interests in economic geography and international economics. His stories not only offer a glimpse into his personal growth, but also the evolution of economic thought in this transitioning society. But our conversation didn't stop there. We dove into his recent magnum opus, a book he co-authored with the late Gabor Kesdi, titled Data Analysis for Business, Economics, and Policy, published by Cambridge Press. It came out in mid-2021. It's a tour de force in data science and econometrics, glossy visually stunning guide that takes readers on a journey from the foundations of data analysis to the complexities of machine learning regression and in the end causal inference i often compare this book to dennis rodman known to many as the best second best player in basketball in a world saturated with michael jordan's this book stands out as the data rodman of data science indispensable unique. Offering a perspective you won't find elsewhere. It won't oftentimes be the main textbook in your class, but it will probably be the assigned readings. And even if it isn't, you need to make it so. While my own book delves into the weeds of causal inference, Gabor's covers everything. This is a book that I really see as essential uh, for kind of growing and maturing as an empiricist, no matter what field you're in. So join me today as we explore the life, work, and insights of Gabor Beggies, a man whose journey has as much to teach us about resilience and adaptivity as his book does about data analysis. It's a conversation I thoroughly enjoyed and I hope you will too. So get comfortable. Let's dive in. Well, it is my pleasure to have on the podcast today um, the author of a new book, Data Analysis for Business, Economics, and Policy, uh, Gabor Beckus, I said it wrong. How do I say it? It's Gabor Bekish, but that's what's close enough. Gabor Bekish, with with Gabor Kesdi, uh, is the co-author um that has just come out. And uh uh I'm like, super excited to get to talk to Gabor. So Gabor, um, could you for the sake of the um listener tell me tell us your name, your job title, and who pays your
1: uh, paycheck? So my name is Gabor Bekes. I'm an assistant professor at uh, the Central European University in Vienna, Austria. I'm also a researcher at the Hungarian Institute of Economics. Okay, great. What time is it over there? So this is just uh, uh, 10 past 5. 10
0: past 5. Okay. It's 10 a.m. here. Great. All right. So let's start with an icebreaker. Um, can you share me a memorable anecdote or tradition from your childhood that has influenced your journey and stays with you?
1: So I think it's not uh, a ritual, but it's something that started me to think about not necessarily economics, but like, um you know, business and, and the world outside. So, you know, I grew up when Hungary was still a socialist country in so mm. the 80s. And um, we had a cottage at the countryside, and the next door neighbor. So this is like eighty-seven, eighty-eight. So our next door neighbor worked at the first commercial bank that was mm. allowed to operate, uh, you know, in, behind the iron curtain. Oh wow! And um, he would, you know, he would just tell stories about the real world, and you know, tell tell stories about capitalism, as it were, and and business and. And it was just super exciting, right? So I was like, I don't know, 14. And, and this guy was just really telling interesting stories. And so at that time, I really wanted to work in finance. Um, mm. And I still remember it because, you know, my parents are you know, very, coming from a de- very different background. So it's not really business or economics. They, they were really artists. And so this was like really something very new.
2: Mm.
0: Hmm. what did you notice? What, was it, what were you curious about watching this have, have unfold?
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it. It was just, um, I think, some sense freedom, right? So that was the first capitalist bank, you know, doing operating. I think the second was um, kind of the global nature of it, right? So foreigners and 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 connections, and I think finance, you know, was was pretty interesting, not in socialism, but like in, in general when you first hear about it. Um, so I think that was actually pretty. I often think back. Um, I don't know if that made me the economist, but certainly that started me to get interested in, in business and economics. And, mm.
2: and economics.
0: well, how old were you when
1: it was no longer a communist country? Sixteen. How...
0: Sixteen. Oh wow! So what was it like? What was it like those first sixteen years?
1: I mean, you know, so Hungary at that time was kind of the most liberal country in the East. So the '80s were, as a child, was not like terribly restrictive. It was mm-hmm. not like Eastern Germany, and um, and really, I mean, you know, you you, I mean, your first conscious political stuff is really the change, right? So you don't really know when you're 12 or 13. You don't really think about politics. You see, you know, maybe your parents watch the news, and and there is some discussion, but you know, it's it's not more than noise. Mm-hmm. Um and, and then as you kind of grew up in high school, this is really kind of the around the change, 89, 90, the first three elections, right? So I was in high school when the first three elections happened, and then I was, you know, on the streets, you know, giving away leaflets and, and sort of stuff. So that that was the first thing that I kind of consciously were, were doing in, in 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 outside. Um yeah. So the the yeah. elections and the change and what kind
0: of conversations were you and your parents or that you were noticing your parents having with each other?
1: So, I mean, not necessarily with each other, but I think a crucial discussion, again, that's kind of sounds, that's going to sound pretty relevant is how you behave in uh, an autocracy. Mm. how How far are you willing to collaborate with the power that you hate? Mm. How much do you have to collaborate, you know, to make ends meet? Mm-hmm. um, the double speak uh, you know that 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 was going on during socialism, and that's kind of going on you know, in many countries now. And mm-hmm. I think this the, this idea of collaboration with the power that you hate that is not like you know, Russia type of oppression, but still uh, a, a non-democratic power. How you do that? Mm. I think that was that was something that that I've been thinking about quite a bit. And what
0: was so to an to an American or uh, some or a European that's never lived in a communist country, like give give me an example of something that's just like an ordinary thing that you just
2: hated, that you no longer kind of experience now.
1: I I can't really tell you. I mean, I I I. Um... I mean, I don't remember as a child that there was something that I, you know, as as fourteen year old that that was for me personally, um, you know, so, something that I could that I could feel. Um, probably the the inability to, to go to west, right? So that that there is it was difficult to go to to west. So travel, I think, travel was something that you would feel, right? If I know most Americans don't have a passport, but or many Americans don't have a passport. But uh, you know, especially in Europe, the, the inability to travel—if you're a small land, landlocked country—then that's pretty essential, right? Um, right. So imagine you couldn't go out of Wisconsin, uh, and that that was that was it, unless oh, so and you, 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 know, you know, know, unless you asked for a special passport, and then you know, you uh, could go to West like every whatever years. But that was only after the mid '80s. So up until the mid '80s, it was pretty hard. It's not impossible, mm. not impossible, but yeah. pretty hard. So when you could, I remember our first. First uh, family holiday in like '88 or '89 to Italy. That was pretty hard to organize, and it was really great. The first, you know, the taste of freedom. Wow, wow.
0: Well, so tell me about your tell me about your parents. What did they do for a living when you were a little kid?
1: All right. So my mother, she was a violinist, uh-huh. and my my father, he was a writer, and uh, he also worked uh, for um, the national TV, mostly on on like children and young adult programs. Mm. was he a did he write fiction he wrote yeah
0: fiction yeah he wrote for the television but did he write and also he, books right he also wrote books yeah. wow what was his name joseph huh
1: that's joseph was he a well-known author so i think he was uh, not a well-known author but he was his name was well known through television because he worked on like you know 100 plus you know, films and, and TV series. Some of them are really well known. Mostly, again, for like a younger audience. Mm. But one thing that was actually special um, during socialism is that actually there was a, you know, a lot of quality program for young people. Really on, on TV, yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and and um, yes. Yeah, so I think you know that 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 uh, and that was part of your. Is that what?
0: I'm just curious. What? Why would that be? Why would that even be the case? I have no idea. There was a real investment by the Hungarian.
1: For for some reason, this was the this was the case in all over. I think Eastern Europe, so not only in Hungary, um, and that kind of faded away in the nineties. So that that must have been something special. I think it was not commercially super interesting, but for some reason that that was the that was the case. I really don't know why. Mm. Well, so.
0: What were your kind of aspirations or interests when you were in grade school you were like, you know, maybe t- like up until like
1: nine, nine or 10 years old, what were you, what kind of stuff did you like? I had no, I don't have a clue. I don't remember. <laughs> you don't remember? I like swimming. So I, I certainly like swimming. Yeah. I still, I still like that, you know, riding the bike and swimming. I think this is something I, I, I like for sure. I, I don't know. I mean, were later on. You- I I know but but up until like high school I I mean I like math mm. uh, but like I I was okay but not like I mean in in primary school I thought I was very good yeah and then around 12 13 I realized I'm okay but not yeah. like very good.
2: <laughs> mm.
1: yeah yeah I I remember that realization did
0: you notice any creative any any like Net, looking back, given these two creative parents, did you do you notice that as you were a kid you were probably pretty creative?
1: So in uh again, that was more like in high school that basically I started to direct all the like the the class drama uh-huh. presentations. So I I I you know then that I've been and kind of writing stuff and doing theater. So in, in high school, that was the that was like the main thing. And that's so when you asked me what what I remember that I really liked. And I think doing theater as that I remember from my childhood as something that I really, really liked. what did you like about it? When did
0: that, when did that happen?
1: That was in high school. I think it happened right when the, you know, the first year of high school. So when I was like 15. Um, and I liked the, I liked everything. I liked the creative process. I think I liked repping people, mm. which sounds, I guess a bit weird, but, but I did like it. Um, and um I guess I enjoyed that people, uh, I don't know, liked our productions. So there was something, something extrovert about that. And I, I knew, you know, I, I did like theater. I still like theater a lot. Mm. Right? So there's something about theater beyond me being part of it that I, you know, that I did like, and I do like now.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: What well, like sort of playwrights did you like? Did you like any American playwrights that I would have heard of? Yeah, I mean, O'Neill Miller. I mean, I I, I remember O'Neill, uh, you know, like liking him a lot. And um, and um, but I think I don't I don't know how much it's true in, in 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 Europe, but you get to like a lot of the Russians, which I still do.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: Um, and. Um, yeah,
2: um, so when you graduate from high school,
0: uh what would your teachers have said you know as you're graduating what would they have said they would have said you know i i think this is what gabor is going to end up doing
1: i mean uh, i don't know <laughs> i mean I, I i i don't know i think so i i think i was i was good in uh, like math history and and maybe language um, so I guess I think they they thought I would do because I was interested in like diplomacy and European Union. Right. So I think that was that was kind of in the cards some some kind of uh, foreign policy or public policy, but at the EU level thing. Okay, that um, was that was uh, I did like a model, you know, youth parliament, European Parliament model thing, uh, in in uh, the early years of college. Mm-hmm. um, that I also liked a lot, um, and uh, but I also realized at some point that I am not interested in politics, like doing. Oh, politics. really? You realized that in college? Yeah. Did I so, like it? I'm interested in it, but like, I'm um, that's not something I want to do.
0: So you you were interested in policy, not politics, or not? not yes, exactly.
1: At- no, I was interested in policy. I was interested in policy, mm. not the politics part.
0: How can you tell? like, so what what happens? You like you, like as a kid, you're like sorting in. you're just saying they're kind of like the same thing. But then you were got into it. How would you articulate what you liked and didn't like, and what exactly
1: happened? I mean, I guess I loved um the European youth Parliament, so I, I really enjoyed like this getting together international crowd and this debating policies. And you know, that's that's I you know I, I started it when I was. Actually, I realized I started in high school. So that was like also 16. And mm-hmm. so I, I like that. And 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 then, you know, you get to see more of politics, right? Politics was also new to Hungary, right? So that was also new to me, how politics is done. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning, you have all kind of this naivete about this. And yeah. then at some point, if you realize it's like dirty and you have to have like a, a hard skin and, and all that. And I realized I'm not that.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So when did you get your? Yeah, so I was. I have this question here. Let me just read it. So, you know, that you might say there's like, for the sake of argument, there's three separate ways that a person gets initial exposure to economics, classes, people, and books. And so I wanted to kind of go one by one. What was your first exposure to economics through
1: a class? So I went to. I mean, I went to study economics straight away from high school, mm. um, and and you know, unlike in the US and the UK, in most European universities, you kind of go into a more narrow direction rather than just kind of majoring in something. So you have to kind of decide early on what you want to do, and you can change, but you kind of put on a track early on, and and that was um, that was economics. Um, mm. So I remember, you know, so so the first the first uh, in, in Budapest. So the first uh, you know meeting with economics was like micro 101. Yeah. And I think my first, you know, I guess for as as for many people, like the first experience that I remember is that when you study perfect everything, and then you think, well, that can be right. Mm. Uh, and 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 kind of this experience, again, especially in the economy that's just moving from a centrally planned economy to a market economy, right? So there is, it's really far from equilibrium. Right. right. So that's your daily experience. Right. And then you go into school and then you have these perfect everything kind of models. Mm. And so I think that was the first, first experience that I thought, you know, some bits are super interesting. Game theory is super interesting. Mm. I never thought about this and that sounds like pretty cool. Mm. Um, and then um, I understand you know, that there is oligopoly and all that, but still, you know, the kind of the, the simpleness of it was, was striking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like the first experience in, in, in school. That was in college. In yeah, that college- was first, first year in college,
0: first in, in college, you were already kind of like intrigued by economics and a little bit critical.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think, I think, yes, I think you said, yeah, bo- both intrigued. Um, and and because you are in an econ track, you get to study, you know, trade and um, and macro and 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 labor fairly early on, right? So mm-hmm. in the second or the third year, I would have seen you know the more interesting bets. Yeah. But like the first year, it's, it's pretty standard. Uh, and 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 even though that was like you know, just post transition. Uh, we still got to you know I, 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 the the variant textbook was the micro textbook, right so it's still
0: oh, you used variant for yeah, your, I did.
1: Yeah. your micro yes. In, yes. variant the
0: small, one. the small one yeah for micro intermediate principles of micro yeah the the thin one that's like yes. got optimization in it yeah okay, you went to a better school today.
1: No, no, I mean, but, but I, you know, that was, so I think I, 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 I I remember it. And then when I went to master's, I studied again, the bigger one, and then that's where really, you know, things started to make sense. But in the beginning, there were not many textbooks, right? Remember, this is just right after the the transition. Um, And um, so, you know, there are some textbooks, but not many. Also, you know, people are kind of scrambling for material. Yeah. Uh, There are textbook translations going on. um, And, um, you know. Hmm. So Varian was translated? I'm trying to remember. I'm not, I'm not, so it was for sure. I'm not sure that when I was a student, whether, whether it was already translated or being translated, I don't remember. There's a, you know, so there's a lot of, lot of books translated. I mean, I even took part in, in, in an econometric book translation oh. to the textbook by Maddala. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, that was that was later on. Sorry, that was a couple of years after that. So it was late '90s. Yeah. And then there was like a group of group of uh, graduates, you know, in, in in sort of senior senior uh, college, and then early PhD, and then you know there was like five of us translating Mudra. So whether that was like a meaningful project, probably not. Yeah. But, uh, it was like this wave of textbook translations.
0: Was the in your department, since it was such a transitional regime change, were the faculty kind of like burning their lecture notes and just starting over? Yeah. And they were switching over to this like neoclassical yeah. paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like for them? Did, could you tell that that was like a, tons of human capital they were developing at the same time or did they already know all this stuff?
1: No, I mean, some did some, some, you know, some were like, uh, you know, uh, two months ahead of us, I guess, but some did, right. So there were some already, there, there were already some exchanges in, in the very late eighties. So some yeah. people, you know, went to the U.S. for, for terms and kind of got to learn it. Yeah. And, and so they were like the pioneers uh, you know, when, when this is happening. Yeah. um But, it, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh. It must have been a lot of lot of change, and then some people were, you know, visibly uh, not very comfortable in 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 this setup, in the sense that they were uh, not doing a very good job, and then sure. other people actually did make a switch, and they already, you know, I mean, it was so. Although teaching must have been fairly limited, but people could have got Western textbooks in the in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Right. 80s, right? Yeah. So again, Hungary was was more liberal and open than other countries. So you could you could with with difficulty you could travel, you could get uh, foreign books, uh, textbooks in. So there were already some you know schooling for people in the late eighties, and they were mm. you know, better better end of 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 the staff and faculty. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what person, what individuals do you remember just being like
1: really impactful? So basically, Laszlo Hawthorne, who was uh, who was basically my, so later on, he was my MA thesis and also one of my MA thesis and also one of the PhD advisors. So he gave a course at a college Godreich, um, in the mid 90s. So I was in like second or third year mm-hmm. on international trade and and international economics more more international economics or exchange rates and and trade yeah and i think that was the thing that got me interested in you know in in, in what i was but i ended up doing in most of my research so
0: when so that was in your master's program so that was it
1: that was it that that was the that was the class and the person that kind of uh moved me and then and then i also so first during my undergrads, I spent a half a term at LSE and I had a class with um with Tony Vanables on economic geography. This yeah. was exactly the time he was writing his textbook on economic geography. So he was kind of teaching out of his manuscripts. Mm. And that was like the other influence in in, in in my interest in geography and, and urban economics and, mm. and spatial sort of stuff in, in general and kind of the link between. Spatial stuff and trade stuff, I think that, that came from that class. So, you well, know, these, these two.
0: Wait, so tell me, just for, for the sake of the reader, uh, listener, what what about that material really just captivated you? Why do you think it was amongst all that stuff you're learning, you know, and all the changes happening in the world, why, why that material?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think um, in both courses, I think Paul Krugman's work, and you said, you know, what are the textbooks or the material? I think, you know, in, in terms of reading, I think Paul Krugman's work on a lot of things that were um, like, you know, broader than sim- the simple thing that I studied earlier, but yeah. like still had a solution and, and, and you can still think about them analytically. Mm. I think some of his papers are really the ones that kind of captivated my, my interest that come through both these courses. Mm-hmm. both in trade and in exchange rates and uh, you know, the, m- many things from from pass-through to the J curve to the oil shock to the dutch disease um to you know uh, and of the creation of agglomeration and periphery um the, the, these were you know these were super influential yeah so you leave lse uh to go get your doctorate where do you end up going I, so I started the master's DLSI,
0: and then I finished at CU. CU. So yeah. did they have a strong
1: tradition in economic geography international? So I think, yeah, uh, this was, um, so maybe not, nah. So I think not at that time, to be honest, not at that time. It It, it ended up being quite a good... A collection of people later on. Maybe mm-hmm. that was when I went there that was that was the beginning. Of course, at LSE they were, but at, at CU, it was just kind of the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. I think most people were interested in so there's a lot of transition economics. Yeah. There was in the 90s, there was this whole broad spectrum of studies about the transition from you know communist to or planned, mm-hmm. centrally planned. To market economy so there's a lot of that and there's macro and labor i think
0: what kind um, of fields did that transitional economics draw on say it again what kind of fields did that what kind of like you know fields and traditions did transitional economics i mean it's almost like by being transitional economics it almost just seems like this is a field that may never persist because if everybody eventually transitions then it's just like a history field or something
1: so I think okay, so this is like a, a deep and philosophical issue right so I think let me answer the first question I think it's political economy ah this is what what we what we this it, this would be not part of political economy yeah it's also part of market design right It's um, so, so uh partly yeah. the um I don't know production economics if there is yeah. such or or industrial industrial economics yeah Then, and then a little bit of labor market reforms. Mm. So that that was it. And then, you know, I mean, so you can, yes, on the one hand, this, that, that was a very specific field. And I used to think that this is not a field. This is just the topic. Right. But then, you know, you have, you still have centrally planned economies. You actually have economies that are becoming more and more centrally planned, Mm. right? So in the sense that if you think about the move between how economies are organized mm-hmm. and the study of that i think there is more generality than than that. let me just let me just give you one idea about this so i think janos kornai who was like the you know kind of the one of the most well known scientists of the socialist regime and and he was very active in this in these years now his central thesis is that the soft budget constraint is the essence of central planning? Is that soft there are firms of budget constraint, right? So this idea, budget constraint. But you said soft budget constraint. I said soft budget constraint. Yeah. So this this is the idea that there are firms, mm. but and they have a budget constraint yeah. that they optimize. But this is like a soft constraint. So the state can always come in and save them, mm. and 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 that that's going to change incentives, yeah. and that's going to yeah. change. You know, how we think about productivity and allocation and the lack of reallocation, Mm. right? If there is, if the state can always come and save you, then you're not going to reallocate resources, right? And that's not going to be creative destruction, a lot of things. And and yes, I can almost imagine more risk-taking under a situation like that. There is no more risk resta- taking because there is also no reward. Because if there is a soft constraint, then the state will take some of the surplus. Oh, I see, they give and they take. I see, right. and and so I think you know if you think about this, this idea is more general. Yeah, right. This was true for the whole economy in the in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it may not be true for the whole economy of countries, but mm-hmm. there are many countries. Where the state operates very strongly in the economy, and then you know companies have a diluted um, incentive structure. Yeah, and, uh, and and this is something that many of my colleagues are are, are working on.
2: Mm. So, did
0: you end up working on these topics when you were
1: in graduate no. school? What were you work, What did you end up doing your job market paper
0: on? And what was it like finding that job market paper?
1: Um. I mean, so on one end, it was a bit difficult because um, it was still you know, being in Hungary, it's still being pretty far away from stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could obviously travel and and that was very useful. And I had a one of my advisors um, who's now my co-author from Bocconi. You know, he was very helpful. But still, you know, there was some hardship in finding peers, I think, so that was like the biggest difficulty to find peers that are interested in the same topics. Yeah, um, just because if you are in a small university I think is generally true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I I started to work so that was kind of the, the difficulty the upside was that this was the emergence of admin data. Yeah, in many countries So I started to work on admin data and I worked on. Um, FDI and I worked on spillovers um, and location choice. So I did my my um, uh, my PhD on, on focusing on location choice and you know how firms select their their site for investment and what are the spillover effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know using Hungarian data and 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 that was really kind of when you know these admin data were first kind of made uh, available, not just in Hungary but I think in the world. Right? So that that was that was useful. So you had to
0: find that you were a grad student and you just had to, you were looking for data. Yes, exactly.
1: The admin data became available. And what was the topic on? So the topic was the location of FDI. So it was Uh, location choice. Okay. Uh, And, um, you know, think about, you know, agglomeration and proximity to consumers and Mm -hmm. uh, how different um, types of firms make different decisions. And then how these decisions have um, a productivity spillover to existing companies, how this productivity spillover is heterogeneous, how some firms would benefit. And and that was related to the policy debate. that was very strong um, in in kind of the mid-late 90s um, in Hungary, but also I think uh, in Europe, many places that uh, you wanted FDI, but then uh, once you were having it, uh, how is it going to affect the local local firms and and there is you know in in early 90s there was this massive optimism that well there is this massive knowledge inflow right that these multinationals are bringing in the know-how and how that's going to have like this very positive effect on everybody else and then it turned out that that it's really like the top 25 percent of of the local firms who, who are able to absorb all this knowledge about you know how to make stuff how to um export how to uh how to benefit from kind of globalization and then there are some firms that it doesn't for whom it doesn't matter and then there are actually firms who are losing who where kind of because workers leave them or because um they're just competed out are are kind of losers of this process did you find as
0: you were as you were looking for that job market paper did you could you just tell you know sometimes there's sometimes there's people where the they they're they're really doing really great in the program until they have to get to that point of the um finding the project and you know they may not have the mentors around them or it just might not be intuitive how to find that project was it what was it a was it a process what was the process like for you of just moving from classwork to research
1: I mean, I think because research was the more creative process, I think I enjoyed that more, uh, and and I wasn't really good in uh, kind of transforming it into papers that have a good structure and that have like uh, yeah, uh, but but like the creative process of coming up with ideas and working with the data and finding out something and relating to policy. I think that's that's something and then and, and going to conferences and discuss it. I think that's something that I actually that I actually like quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally identify with that. Um, so you finish and you end up getting this first job. So where did you end up getting what year is it at this point? And when did you Where where did you first what was your first
1: job you landed? So let me think, it must have been 2007, nine, something like that. Okay. So, um, and that was actually my second job. So my first job was between, before my PhD, I worked for an investment bank in London for two years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've worked for Lehman Brothers, which no longer exists. Oh, you worked for Lehman Brothers. Uh, cool. and, uh, and, and that was like 2000 to 2002. Uh huh. Um, and uh, you know, I was, I was the same basic- age.
0: I think, I think. What, what, what's your birth? When? What year were you
1: born? Seventy four. Seventy four. I was born in
0: seventy five. Okay. What music were you listening to in high school? um
1: Hungarian alternative. Hungarian alternative music, right? Uh-huh. So I think Hungarian alternative. I also listen to a lot of classical music. Uh-huh. i mean, That's kind of where I'm coming from. So I think. Yeah. Sure. I I, I really have like an. Uh, Know, m- multipolar musical taste in the yeah. sense that that did um, I like uh, David Bowie and I also like Bach and, and yeah you're not that different but I you know um I, I certainly not like I don't I don't share your strong taste for for hip hop I oh yeah like it, but <laughs> but uh, that's not um, yeah I mean I, I guess I, I I you know I, I like like they didn't have. Music,
0: that rap didn't make its
1: way to the, through uh, to communist hungaria so it it started it, it came in right around 90 so it was mtv your raps oh yeah yeah that? yeah that that's something i remember and i said what what's going on <clears throat> and and um you know so so i think that that um, um i also like um like Zondheim and musicals, mm. and I, I like musicals also when kind of growing up. Yeah, um, um, maybe may more Weber and less Zondheim, and now it's more Zondheim than Weber. But, but. Um... Well, so okay, so you get this first job. So so, so, so my first job was as an investment bank, but like my 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 second first, job. My, my my second job was at the Institute of Economics that I'm still working for in, in Budapest. That okay. was like a that was like a, um, policy slash research job uh, where um, you know we would work on uh, you know research papers but but also kind of a part of uh, policy projects for a little bit to the government but mostly for the European Union or for um, the ECB uh, the European Commission. Um, so a lot of the things that I was working on was like eu level policy related stuff about uh, trade and firm performance. and um, but these weren't academic articles. This, some of them were, and some of them were more like policy stuff mm. And um, did this fit your
0: research? Uh, yeah. This did, this fit your research. How and, you this, and
1: there was also like a very good bunch of people, some of, so there is also a substantial overlap between CU and the Institute. There still is hmm. in terms of students and faculty. Um, but I mean, I think I did some of my best research uh, in, in trade in the Institute. For yeah. Sure. And, um, and they were often, you know, related to you know, so we were work on, so we would be working on um, um, comparing trade performance at the firm level across countries, mm-hmm. and then you we would find that there is um, a large fluctuation in in your your export partners, and and there there are. You know, so the 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 trade literature at that time, you know, the mellitz type of models, they were saying, you know, you have kind of some productivity draw, And then if you're lucky, it's going to be high and then that's going to allow you to to uh, cover the fixed cost of exporting. And then if you do that, then you're going to export. And then mm-hmm. in data, as we're comparing, you know, doing this policy work to, to compare countries, we're finding in Hungarian data that that um, there are um, this short spells of of trading experience at the firm level. So you would you would sell some stuff, but only for one or two or three years, and then not do it again.
2: Yeah.
1: And and it turned out to be a you know a, a relevant academic question to think about this temporary trade and and to juxtapose a different type of model to the Meltz type of model, where you can kind of have a higher variable cost and a low fixed cost, and that means that in some times that would be worth. Uh, that would that would worth trading. And if you're not in the most productivity productive bunch of the distribution, then this is something that's relevant for you, and you're gonna do this temporary trade. And that was that started off as finding something weird in the data, yeah, yeah.
0: so uh, uh, you're describing a, a rich theoretical kind of background, but you're gonna end but then you keep referencing the data the data and so you end up writing this book data analysis for business economics and policy which just came out 2022 so can you sort of tell me when that book was like a glimmer in your eye like what's the seeds for that book if you go
1: back how far back do we have to go so that's you know say so two so that this started like like nine ten years ago so i was I was still working at this institute, but I was already teaching as a visiting professor at CU. Actually, can and, you, and, and then and then you I just now realized. Would you mind real quick
0: telling the listener uh the short version of like, you know, what is this book that I keep referring to?
1: Right. So this is um so the this data analysis textbook as um an applied master's slash undergraduate textbook that covers a whole spectrum of, of data work, starting from survey design and data collection to descriptive parts. Uh, then in the second the, the second part, we do regression analysis mm. um, from OLS to like logit and time series. And then in the third part, uh, it's prediction and machine learning. Um, and and then including classification and 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 time series prediction. And then in the fourth part, uh, it's causal analysis. So basically from dogs and deaf and deaf to panel and, and, and event studies. Yeah. And like the idea of this textbook, you know, is that this is written for the future practitioner. I mm-hmm. said, this is not a PhD textbook. We have a few of those, including yours that are more like graduate PhD level research oriented textbook. Mm -hmm. This is for people who end up going to work with data, but not necessarily as an academic. Ah. And for them, you need to have this broad spectrum of, of, you know, tools and methods. Yeah. Not like super deep into math. Right. So the emphasis is on case studies and practice and, and how you, you know, how kind of, um, explain what you find right Um,
0: right so okay great it's a phenomenal book it's also a beautiful book it really feels uh wonderful it's so glossy and has amazing graphics Uh, i'm just curious you know you come from this creative artistic background was that a lot of input from you or was that from your co-author gabor
1: Kesdi? so first thanks a lot it's 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 nice to hear that um, no, it was it was it was me, I think. Um, and I'm gonna be a bit more precise. So let me answer you first your 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 yes. original question of, of how it all started. So it was like Kaisley was already at CU; he was the head of the department, and and then he invited me to teach some metrics applied metrics course. Hmm. And then I was also supervising um, MA students. And I remember, so I remember when it started. Right. So it started in a uh, spring afternoon. Um, I was having a, a a discussion with a guy I was supervising, who stays I was supervising about whether to use random effects or fixed effects. Yeah, and that was his main question that he came to see me. Mm-hmm. And 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 at the same time, he didn't really have an idea of what he's doing, why he's doing that. Yeah. and how to interpret the coefficients that he found, right? So there was the significant, not significant, goes up, goes down, um, and then discuss, discussion about random effects versus fixed effect. And, and, and then after this, I went up to KSD and I said, you know, we are not doing something right because this is not what the, the supervision and the discussion should be about, yeah. right? And, and, and I think that was the beginning that, that we need to do a better job in in deeply explaining the simple stuff in data, yeah. including how to interpret OLS coefficients with you know great confidence rather than talking about stuff that don't really matter outside of academia. Right. So that was the that was the that was the beginning. Your your second question about about the, the graphics. So I think it was me I wanted to I mean we wanted to have something nice. I think I had more interest in this uh, a little bit. And then um, I listened, so I thought about the color scheme, and then I listened to um, a presentation of Python enthusiasts on MacPotlib and how they, how they pick how the human eyes work and how you see colors. Mm. And that's when I heard about Viridis, the color scheme that you see in the book. That's and gorgeous. then I said, okay, everything should be with this color scheme, including the cover, you know every graphics and, and everything should have Being like, this like
0: almost purplish deep blue and exactly. this, so this is blue.
1: so very this is a frog, frog. And, and and it has like different you know it, it has colors from yellow to this aubergine to teal and blue and and, and green mm. so this color scheme from from like yellow to purple to dark purple yeah. is a color scheme that's that's also Friendly for um, colorblind people. Oh, and actually, it turns out that K is the is one of these five percent of 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 people or six percent of of white males that are colorblind. Oh, this is you know he he used to tell me that he can't see blue and uh, uh, you see blue and red. Colors?
0: He could see these colors.
1: Yeah, because this is you could because because this is these are this color scheme is designed so that you know colorblind people can see it. It's also if you print it black and white, you yeah. can see dark from light. Wow. And even when you show this color scheme, people's mind will just understand that purple means higher and more and yellow means less and lower. Oh, so you, can, ha- you can have these rankings and you can, have, you can use them as individual colors, but yeah. you can have like a heat map, oh. wow. which we do. One it's of my really favorite gorgeous. graphics, we have a heat map.
0: I actually, it's so funny, I know I must have, I know I must have like thought a lot about the color, it's just that I'm not a particularly visual person, so I didn't say the words out loud, but it's like every time I looked at it, I think I must have, every time I looked at it, I just think I made a comment and go, this is a really pretty book. Yeah, this is the I, I, well, it's not just that, even the cover with these like random force plots or these polynomials or I mean, these, these so so little uh, minimalistic, uh, clean lines, lots of space. And I mean, it's just even the way you just do some of these
1: things, they're really original. I mean, the cover was also designed, and these designed are. It? Yes, so, so basically the cover pictures, like there are you know, the six small pictures on the six small visuals on the cover and each are kind of a simplified version of an actual graph that we have in the book.
0: Right, right, right. right so was- these, are,
1: these are kind of, and then we use the graphic designers to make them look nice, but we kind of draw like how they should look and then the graphic designer make them look like nicer. They're gorgeous um I did not realize
0: that I did not design the cover of my book I can barely put clothes together that don't make me look like a fool so uh you, you this is just so amazing that you put this together crazy uh, also what's that
1: crazy also really it's so I okay. imagine I mean you know this is like like the, the discussions I had with publishers so it was published by Cambridge University Press and um, you know, the, the discussions I had with how the print graphic scheme corresponds to the different graphics, key, different colors that you see on the screen. Yeah. Like, this is like, I, I remember, you know, I think back of those discussions, I think, what am I, what was I doing? I no what idea. was Gabor thinking about this? Did he, how did so he He wanted feel? to make it pretty. So I think he wanted to, to make it like a college textbook, like yeah. like pretty. And um, so, you know, he wanted, I think, so 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 the idea to have a lot of graphs, I think that's something that he pushed for to have a lot of graphics.
2: Mm.
1: Also because, you know, for practitioners, um, the idea of making graphs and visually telling the story is really important.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, totally. And- um, And that telling of a story actually, teaching students to that the research has this telling of a story element it's it's funny you're not really sure which class you're supposed to teach that you know but when you're doing data visualization it's a lot easier because you're kind of like the reason why this picture works or doesn't work is because of this broader thing you're trying to achieve
1: yeah and i mean i i I think there are many skills that we are not sure how and when to teach and yeah. and that includes you know data wrangling or visualization as you mentioned and storytelling um, and I think we sh- and, and often you would have like a econometrics theory that are they're, you know the serious serious class and then you have some applied, maybe some data visualization separately yeah. and 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 so people don't see that that these are really Together in the sense that your your data is going to tell you what you can do, and then what, as you're discovering it, uh, you know there is this um, discussion that happens between you and the data and the models. Yeah. And so you have to put everything together when you think about it, both as a practitioner and as an academic. Yeah. yeah. And, and often this is like an afterthought in 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 in, in many programs, like the practical totally. stuff. Yeah. And it's just not good. So, you, you know, so you've got this glimmer in your eyes,
0: guys, like random effects, fixed effects, and and you have this thought, uh, I got to answer this student's question, random effects, fixed effects, but you could tell what you could tell he's asking the wrong question, or he doesn't even know what the question
1: is, and it's a lot clearer to you. What, what is it that you noticed? So I think that he was like a smart student, he ended up doing a good dissertation. But he was just not focusing on what matters. I think that was the ultimate thing that that he's not talking about what really matters. Instead, he's he's talking about stuff that are of secondary importance. Can
0: you tell and me what what really matters? So to explain me like I'm five, what
1: what's what matters in graduate school, and what's of secondary importance? I think uh, it matters to understand that most of the exercises are about. Con, uh, comparing conditional means—that's what—that's yeah. what our business. Our business is comparing conditional means. That's the mm-hmm. overarching business we are in, mm-hmm. and that should be kept at the simplest way in understanding what you compare with what and how to interpret the results.
2: Yeah,
1: and if you are able to understand, and you know that's that's more than five-year-olds. But if you are able to understand and 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 explain you know, an OLS regressions with, with two, ver- two right-hand side variables, Yeah, and you know what you're doing, and you know what you measure, and, and that's already fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and this is what you should think about. Like, what is the right simple regression or, or conditional comparison that you should do? Yeah, And then how you should work with, you know, what is the right data for that? What is it that you can realistically ask from your data? Yeah. That's eighty percent, and then on top of it, you can think about the details, right? I think it's at the academic level we think the right diff in diff is is uber important. Yeah, and it is at the academic level when you have really specific questions and you know super specific situations and everything. But at at some lower level, to understand that diff in diff is just four numbers. Yep. And you may work a lot to get those four numbers before and after treating, untreated. Yep. If the, you know, I think that was the idea that to to make sure that there is a kind of a curated content, there is a core content that is drilled into into people while yep. not wasting time on GMM. And I don't I don't want to hurt people's feeling and, and effects <laughs> and and, we'll, and edit, we'll edit that out just kidding And, and you know and, and let, or, or let me even be stricter. So there is like three pages in the book about IV yeah. right and the reason for that while as there's like 50 page about you know fixed effects and or 80 page about fixed effects and definitive mm. And the reason, is because practitioners are unlikely to find themselves working on a question that is given to them with data given to them, yeah. where IV is the solution. Yeah, 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 right, 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 right. Often we kind of create situations or try to find scenarios where we can use it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But but for practitioners, that's not the most likely scenario. It's so like we you
0: did back, it's like you
1: backwards engineered the 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 student. Yeah, it's true. We wanted to, we thought a lot about, so, you know, you asked about kind of the glimmer in the eye and what happened then. And what happened then was we wanted to, so we first started to teach uh, an, an applied course. This kind of started to grow and grow with KSD. And um, after four years, we said, you know, let's, let's what are the books we want to teach? And we couldn't really find one right but that's your i guess that's many you know textbook authors experience yeah. is that they have something in their minds and then they're trying out 10 different textbooks and they're unhappy with either for different reasons and you don't get me wrong i loved you know i studied from Woodridge and angris pishki and, and 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 green um and and i liked them all for different reasons but they were they were not what we wanted to 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 do and right. then so we started to write like notes and bits and pieces and case studies. And, and that's, that's, that's how it all began.
0: So, Kesdy, so does he approach you or do you approach him? Or is it just kind of a
1: natural thing about, let's write this book? Um, so, we have been teaching and finding um, materials together. And mm-hmm. he was more kind of, so he, before me, so, you know, I've worked in a research institute and I've worked on trade. He's a labor economist. And he has been teaching classic econometrics for many years before me, mm. and so he has been writing notes and stuff. Um, and then I remember, you know, we ordered our last batch of textbooks that we thought will save us, and we were kind of—I was in his office, and um, we were going through them and and just discussing that this is not this is not how it's going to go. And we said, so we have produced a lot of material, a lot of case studies in particular. And so shall we just say we were writing a textbook, which sound, sounded ludicrous. And then he and then he said, yeah, let's. And that was it. Hmm. What year is that? So I think that was five years before publication. So that was five, six years. So that 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 must have been like uh two thousand and sixteen, I would say. Yeah. If Did you have a, any ideas of what a massive project
0: that this was going to under, be undertaken? Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell from reading it, the visualization, um, the in-depth, the the perfection of it, it's got like no errors, um, the, the, the expansive code and state of art. It's just such a practical and a book you just want to look at. You know, I mean, it's... Um, it, it seems like it should just be one of these books that students just have in their backpack. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so or time. I mean, I am glad you say that because our kind of our mind was that this is ideally a textbook and this was like one condition and 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 related to the search of the publisher that that we wanted to make sure that it's not expensive. Yeah, yeah. I Sixty dollars, fifty pounds mm-hmm. or euros. So this is not an expensive book. And and that was something because we wanted people to have it. And and also like, you know, when you go and work and you are not sure. So, you know, how should we think about selection bias or how should do, so what is, what, how do you interpret this or what do you do? And then you can kind of go back and and, and look at it. But no, I mean, of course we had no idea or at least I had no idea how vast it will be. It has, you know, it has machine learning which I had no experience before teaching. Uh, So I kind of learned it as I was as I was teaching the course and I, I felt like you know now that we discussed it. It was like uh, my professors in 92 that I was like maybe one or two years ahead of my students. Um, it was fairly new coming mainstream to to uh, to social sciences. Yeah, I'm not a computer scientist,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: like one of the challenges was how to tell um, you know, something that's coming from computer science of Hashti and Shirani and those guys, how you explain it to social science crowd and how right. to create which type of machine learning to explain. And, and, you know, sure, we only talk about tabular data, right? When you have numbers as as dependent variable, but still there are many, many ways. And the idea to have only, you know, one type of of methods, but kind of explain them in detail how algorithms work, uh, I think that that was like a process for for us as well. Mm. So what did you start with? The table of contents?
0: Machine learning was in there, or just this thing kind of sprawl a little bit? I mean, it seems like it's got such a coherent logical structure. It seems like, and mm-hmm. I'm now kind of getting from talking to you. I feel like you're very, you're probably very intentional, and you have a real vision ahead of time of what this is.
1: Is that yes? I think it was in the so, so when you when you you know as as you, as, as you know when you talk to publishers you want to have like a sample chapter or two, and then you want to have a, a, con- a, a table of contents. And I think basically by and large, so that it was like, you know, five years before before finishing it, um, we had the table of contents that we have now. But yeah. like there are some, you know, there are some minor changes in whether, how are we going to talk about measurement error in this chapter or that chapter, and, yeah. you know, minor things within the parts, but I think this idea to have four equal parts about kind of data work and descriptive analysis, regressions, prediction with machine learning, and causal inference to have, you know, equal four parts to to also make the case that this is you know what you should, you know what what you should know. Um, a or really if- strong opinion. You know, when you think about it, it's like
0: it's 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 a much stronger opinion type of book than like what I wrote, which was like let me just summarize the call you know now that a lot of time has passed let me summarize the the seven things you know which is more of like this is kind of like the equilibrium
1: you know your your book is like i have an opinion i think so and and so one of as i think back of the discussions i had so i visited a bunch of publishers and we had discussion and one of the reasons we went with cambridge is because they said you can write the 700 crazy book that you want which is yeah. going to be your vision we don't want to have four books separately or this and that if you think that this is what you know uh, uh, people should know and you know this is what angry said like the 95% of what people should know um, yeah. in, in practice and i think that that was the vision and that was the statement and this is why we wanted like a large book, even if this is harder to sell and there are many practical problems um and, and um but yeah that 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 was that was the you know the statement and uh, the strong view of what what we should kind of teach for people suppose you have like one year of data
2: mm-hmm.
1: like one long year or maybe two years and that's it yeah. what is it what is it that we should let you um uh, go with and then it comes with you know the case studies and the coding bets and and state r and python and it shows that at the same time you're agnostic about coding yeah don't have a strong view that you should use this or that yeah
0: it seems like um there should be a class like that my i have a colleague that almost teaches a class like this that's just like research from a to z kind of quantitative research a to z it's like it literally gets down to the paper is going to have this, it's going to have table one, two, three, table one's going to look like this, table two is going to look like this, table three, you know, it's like all this, it's got this template and in a way it's like kind of got this, you know, feeling, it's not like, it's not as, it's not like that, but it's, it's sort of, you know, basically the strong opinion of the Gabor's of, uh, that it's not the only thing you need, but you do need this
1: book. And I think the other aspect is that you need to have a strong... So the other thing I think in the book that, is, that, was, that was a lot of work in you is not using academic papers, mm. but rather developing case studies that look and smell like real life problems. Yeah. So what it means is that you start with kind of raw data and then there are parts of the code that kind of prepares the data so that when students see it in real life, Yeah. Right. It's not like nice and formatted, and and everything everything works. And then there is a right way. Right. The other is that there is no like right way of solving a problem. You can do this. You can do that. This has this advantage. That advantage. So to have this kind of constructive skepticism that you approach things that you want to show something, but there is some uncertainty around which is the best method. There is no like, you know, in school you often learn that this is the way to do things. It was great. Nice. You know, I think that this is the trend in the books now. I mean,
0: I think probably you and I grew up on the same kinds of books. There really wasn't any code. And there yeah. really, like, there was, like, data. There was data. But, you know, you might not. A lot of our classes would be just theoretical classes. Mine were. You know, they. So it's kind of, like, ironic. You know, it's kind of class. And, uh, you know, I, I might not never, uh, you know, have to actually do anything in the class that's requiring opening up anything. And here you have Stata R Python code. I mean, I guess that's like, and it, you've got these, wide, it's a wide book, so you can put in, uh, you know, dual columns and all kinds of stuff. But it it really seems like it's it's
1: not just covering a lot of stuff, it's really meant for a lot of people. I mean, I hope so. And and you know, so so Casey would say that econometrics is too important to be taught by econometricians. Okay. And and I'm kind of gonna hurt again people, but but there is, you know, so there's exaggeration and you know, in in the sense that it's important that econometrics is also taught by practitioners or applied people. Right. Rather than and then that means less asymptotics and 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 more just interpretation and thinking about what to use. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know so I'm, I'm certainly not saying that econometricians shouldn't but i'm just yeah. saying that in addition to in addition to that right you should let apply people like like i guess you and me to to, sure. to talk about these stuff yeah right yeah. let a thousand flowers bloom sure
0: <laughs> well so the, uh your
1: gabor Kesdi, uh he was a major mentor to you is that right that's correct i mean he you know, he, as I, as I mentioned, he has been teaching econometrics uh, long, long before. Mm. And um, he was, so he studied in Michigan and he was like one of these people early on in the 90s to come back and kind of have a large following in, in, in teaching metrics uh, the, the American way. And I think yeah. um, uh, he was, he had this very strong vision of focusing on. You know, if I don't believe your simple stuff, right, I'm going to have a hard time believing your complicated stuff. Exactly. And and you must know your data. If I ask you, so what does this variable exactly measure? You cannot just say, well, this is, uh, you know, labor cost. So what exactly? Right. I think in that sense, uh, he had an influence on me and, you know, my my peers and colleagues Uh, that's really interesting
0: you can that that helps kind of bring together the philosophy I mean even the back of the book when you've got these uh you got Josh Angrist and you got David Card and Kerwin Charles clearly know their econometrics but you know when you think of these people that's uh careful applied people uh you know that Princeton tradition of just like figuring out where the variation is coming from being very explicit not, you know, kind of moving away from the magic of econometrics, magical, magical thinking econometrics. Yeah. Um. So Gabor, he, Kezi, he passed away. How, when did that happen? And how did that, how did that impact
1: you? So, I mean, um, yes, he did. And he basically passed away, like, I would say, two months after the publication. So he, mm. you know, he he, he, he kind of, Lived to hold the book uh, in 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 his hand. Um, he was he was not uh, he was just a bit older than 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 the two of us, and um, you know it 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 was um, a hard experience to kind of finish the book while he was pretty sick, and and he worked you know till till really till uh, you know so the last thing so when the book came out. Uh, in May two thousand and twenty-one, and and we and and there were like practice questions at the end, and like one month before his, his death, he finished a hundred-page solution manual to the practice questions. Oh wow, wow! Right, so that's 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 really uh, uh, that 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 says a lot. Yeah, and, um, I mean it's you know I mean I think we are we are grateful that he could he could hold his hand obviously. It's he got to sad. hold a copy of the book. Did he yeah, see? Exactly. The, saw the color. Yeah, he saw the colors, and you know, we had like a, a webinar because remember it was still COVID, oh. and so so we had a webinar introducing the book, um and and um um and then um yeah, what a journey
0: that was for you. That whole thing must have been bittersweet. Just uh, ended that way.
1: I mean, but it it was, was. and I mean. You know, I, I try to separate talking about the book of of of, of his passing because I don't want it to be like a sad a sad story. But I mean, it's it's really his you know magnum opus and maybe 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 more than mine. And and um and I you know I, I when when I see the book you know picked up in in India and China and Australia and you know far away places. I wish he could, you know, he could, he could yeah. see his ideas, you know, going far, you know, far, far away. And, yeah, and, then, um, but
0: well, so now that you've written this, we're at the top of the hour. So just want to kind of conclude now that you've written this book, how do you think your career is different now? Having done this, what, what, what about, how does your sense of yourself and the sense of what your ambitions and goals
1: and what you want to accomplish, how's it different? having written the book? I think it's a very good question, and I should think more about this. Um, I mean, you know, the book is out, so I've in the past year it's it's more back to, to research and 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 it's more more regular. Um, you know I, I still there is still some work in, in um kind of PR and then code maintenance and preparing the distant second edition. It's not something you would not know, right? So there is, there is, there's that bet. Yep. I think it changed my life. Certainly, that I'm much more confident about metrics, yeah, than I used to be. So I actually learned a lot during during writing it, and and I've become more pedantic about some stuff and yep. more relaxed about other stuff. More pedantic right. about basics and more relaxed about complicated stuff. So I think it had it had this. Uh, um you know this this impact on me Yeah. um um maybe, maybe that was the, that's the most uh that's the most important and um and um but it's you know it's it, the the it, it's a lot of work as, as 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 you and other authors know it's it's way too much it's it's way more than you would think it takes a lot of time away from research so you're gonna have like a gap in your cv in terms of research but at the same time, it's an impact that is uncomparable to our to a research paper. Unless you are like a super, super you know, highly ranked, you know, you're a David author or or or, or Carr, then, then your research could be interesting and could have some impact in academia, but it's gonna be limited. Yeah. That's I think for most of most most people, you do interesting stuff, you may have some impact on policy, but like limited. I think yeah. writing textbooks have potentially, you know, a different kind of uh, impact, and I and I think I enjoyed that possibility, and yeah. I'm proud of it and happy about this, and tend to forget all the hard work, copy editing, yeah. 700 pages, and yeah. playing with the axes. You know, I I thought that in in, in hell I'll probably be asked. To do histograms and to make sure that uh, you know <laughs> you. How, how that the histograms in R and stata look alike. This right. is what I'll be doing in in right. you know, right. um You know, well, so you,
2: you kind you know, of you're. I
0: think them. you're like a perfectionist who actually completes the work and gets it made. Usually, the the perfectionist uh, can get stuck, and you're you you delivered. You but I'm not, beautiful product. I'm
1: not a perfect, but, 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 but I'm not a perfectionist, unfortunately. I think I'm more like a, an idea guy. Mm. I think KSD was better in, um, so most of the first, you know, the first draft and the first version of sentences was written by him rather than by the two of us to have like a unique, unique language. So the voice that you hear is mostly his. Yeah. I think the case studies are, are mostly mine, but the, Metrics is mostly his. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm not a perfectionist at, at all. And, and, and uh, you know, we had a text development editor who, happened to, who happens to be my wife. And she okay. helped to make sure, like two years also of her life, to make sure that when we say in the text 5%, it's also 5% in table five. That's oh. the hardest part. And that's not me, Scott. That's not me. Boy, you hit the jackpot. Man, you just nailed this book. You just nailed it. I, I like
0: to, I have this thing where I say, um, and then I can't remember if this is where I read this. I read, I think I read this. I think I read that, you know, in the United States, Michael Jordan is considered to be the best basketball player, but um, there's a uh, best of the second best basketball players. And I think I read that Dennis Rodman, is considered to be the best of the second best basketball players. And I kind of feel like this idea of the textbook versus this companion book kind of has that feel. It's like the best textbook is whatever, right? Like whatever the best textbook is. But I think this is is one of the best of the second best books, meaning like, this is the book that should be on every syllabus. This should be on every econometric syllabus. It should be on every field, every micro field. It should be in the data science terminal data science masters programs. This needs to be a thumbed, worn out copy. You know, it's they just. It's the kind of book that you just will consult, and it's the best one on the market.
1: I mean, I, I hope. So you know, I have to tell you that we even when we were writing it, I was constantly looking at the development of your textbook, uh-huh. and I, was, I was constantly afraid. That we're gonna be late, and then because yours is so good, obviously, is that, and and compare it to, and then and, um, you know that, that how is this new brand of books coming out at the same yeah. time, mm-hmm. and I think at the same times, you know, we are a little bit competitors, but at the same time, I think we have grown the pie together. Right? Totally, like, yeah. That, totally. That's the way I I think about it. As that, as that, we have you know, uh, cause cause. Yeah, so I think they're the, this new breed of textbooks. It's not necessarily well. They're so cheap. You just get both of them.
2: You
0: know, I mean, it's like you're. They're so cheap. You get both of them. You flip through them. You'll you get something from some stuff and you get something from other stuff. But this book, yeah, I agree. You I don't, agree. You don't get any machine learning from my book. You don't get any of this like, I mean, we're. I think we're both trying to provide practical guidance, but this kind of. Going from the, the foundations of description because mine's so much your fourth part. Yeah. You know, but this I'm, whole one to three is completely missing and it's critical. I, I I know I, you know, even here at Baylor, you know, I teach the causal inference classes, and it's like it causal inference is not su- is necessary but not sufficient for doing research. And this gets this is a lot closer to necessary and sufficient,
1: you know. I think this takes a person on a big journey. Yeah, but I mean, there is a lot of complementarity. I mean, I would I would tell you know my students if you want to learn more about the causal part, go and consult Scott's book. And then you know I didn't cover ID and IV and RDD and 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 you know so you should you should go and learn um, learn more of that. And I think one of the reasons we can do that is because there is some shared language, yeah, you know, and, and shared understanding that you want to think kind of structure about causality and it's not like magic econometrics it's more like thinking it and and dog's going to help you to some extent and you know whether you tend to believe in some uh some extreme version of using dax fine but you know there is some version that you want to use and that's more important than fancy econometrics number five and i think that's shared in, in some of the new books and i think that's great yep yep yeah well highly recommend people get it they didn't hey, out-
0: huh? business economics and policy by uh beckes it's uh it's fantastic and i think it's for every i think it's for everybody business econ policy it's for everybody there you go in the title that's in the title well it's so nice to meet and talk in person it uh, is wonderful. I, I can't wait to get home and uh, pull out my my deep purple and green book and flip through it again
1: my i appreciate it. And, it and it was very nice uh meeting you after all the twitter this discourse um yeah. it's, it's just nice and uh thanks a lot for the talk okay bye gabor thanks. bye you gotta see